Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. We'd love for you to find Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter number 26. While you're finding that passage of Scripture this morning, if you're awake, say amen. amen. Good. I am so glad. I know when you get in this building and you start hearing the rain hit the tent on the top of this roof, there's something soothing about it, especially when the preacher's voice begins to talk. And then you get a little sleepy. Well, I hope not. We're hoping to look at Acts chapter number 26 today as we continue our journey. We're almost through this entire book of Acts. Here we find ourselves picking up where we left off last week. There's 32 verses in Acts chapter 26. Because of time, I'm not going to be able to read all of them. But I do want to walk through this passage of Scripture with you this morning as we see Paul is going to stand before King Agrippa. Now, this is not... A legal trial. That's not what this is. If you'll remember, King Agrippa was very anxious to interview Paul. Secular historians tell us that there are several things worth noting about King Agrippa II. Uh, they say that he had a fine physique and that he was a magnificent social uh, interaction. I mean, he had this presence socially that people flocked to him, they enjoyed him, they loved him. Uh, they really thought that he was some more of a man. Uh, historians also tell us that he was well-educated and he had a great natural ability. He could communicate and was very uh, fluid in that communication. He also, we also know through history that he was born about the time Jesus died. So when Jesus died, somewhere around in that area, that's when Agrippa II was born. We also know that he was for all the Jewish people until the Jewish people rebelled against Rome. Then he went with Rome, sided with Rome, and fought against the Jewish people. Which is fascinating to me because he in, in, in his heritage is a Jew. He's from the Edomites. And so we find here, as we look at his life, we find that uh, it's contrary to his kinsmen. Now, it's worth remembering also that Herod, this Herod the uh, second, Herod Agrippa II, he is the great-grandson of the Herod that murdered the innocent children in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. That was his great-grandfather. His grandfather, if you would, or he's the grandson of the man that murdered John the Baptist. And then he is, if you would, the son of the man who murdered James. So there's this long line of history through Agrippa's life where he has seen the murder of many Christians. And so Herod Agrippa II here is accompanied, if you would, to the governor's mansion, which is uh, Festus, and he has alongside of him his sister. Now remember, it is his sister to which he is involved with sexually. He has this uh, incestuous relationship with her. It's an open scandal to both Jews and Gentiles. Jewish opinion is against him in this category. As a matter of fact, Jewish law is against him in this category. He is, uh, according to law, worthy of death. But he is so sinister in his lifestyle. He is so flagrant in his sin. 
He does not care. One historian put it this way. The flagrancy that he has is that he is a slave to his passions. He had become quite careless about public opinion. He cared nothing as is evident by the fact that he brings Bernice wherever he goes. End of quote. So here we have Paul who is standing before Herod Agrippa II. He is within sin. This, uh, Herod is within sin. And we find that Herod considers, or excuse me, Paul considers Herod an expert in all things of questions and customs concerning the Jews. And so he finds himself standing before this man who knows everything there is to know about Jewish law. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, when you look at Acts chapter 26, it falls naturally into three points. Let me share those with you this morning, and I hope you'll receive a blessing from it, and we'll apply it in the end. Number one, let me show you the first one I want you to see. Verses 1 through 3, I want you to notice with me Paul's perception of his audience. Paul's perception of his audience Anytime we're going to exercise the Great Commission in our lives as born-again children of God, we know that we're going to do so with an audience. Today, you are my audience. I have to know my audience. Who is my audience? My audience is the individuals that I am shepherding. As an under-shepherd and the congregation that God has given me, I look out and I see born-again children of God who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, whose attempt is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And through that attempt to love God, love others, and serve the world, it's very important from my perspective that I preach the gospel and preach the truth of the gospel in knowing who I'm, I'm speaking with. Here we find Paul seated in front of King Agrippa II. Bernice is there. Roman Governor Festus is there. We have the military commanders there and their guest. This was not a Christian audience. This is a pagan audience. And Paul knows that quite well. I wonder, here's a question, what would you say if you were in Paul's shoes? If you had the opportunity to stand before a king that is in an incestuous relationship with his sister, who's standing before the governor, who is also before, if you would, military commanders and guests, there's a lot of high-profile people there. What would you say? We find here in the text that when Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. Paul stretched out his hand in a gesture, still chained to a Roman soldier, and pro proceeded to give his defense. Notice what the Bible says in the first three verses of this text. The Bible says, when then Agrippa said to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered him. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all these things where I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know you to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Paul knew his audience. And when he knew his audience, is that he asked the audience three basic things. Or he made three basic statements about the audience he was addressing. Number one, the first thing he said is, I'm happy. The word happy is a Greek word that where we get our English term, fortune, fortunate. He says, I consider myself 
happy. I am fortunate, if you would, to have this opportunity to make a defense before Agrippa. Many years ago, I used to work for Focus on the Family. I was a, uh, a, a, I represented our community underneath that. I wasn't paid by them. I went on their payroll, but I did what was called How to Drug Proof Your Kids. That was what I taught. That was a, something that I really appreciated. Miriam and I both participated in that. It was a great community opportunity to minister. And I can remember wanting and desiring to help the best I could. So I called for an audience of one of our local judges. I took him to lunch and I sat down. And the first thing I said was, I am so blessed to be able to sit here before you today and communicate what I want to present to you. That's exactly what Paul does here. Paul says, I am glad I have this opportunity to share with you my defense. In verse number 3, he says, especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. So he says, uh, the, the second thing there he says in the text is that I really want you to hear what I have to say, not only because you're an expert, but I'm asking you to listen very patiently. So we find here in the text that he's fortunate, he's happy, he knows who he's talking to, King Agrippa II, who's an expert, and he's asking to listen patiently. Why? Well, because he's going to present a lengthy statement about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings us to the second point. The second point begins in verse number 4 and runs all the way down to verse number 23. In the text, we see here Paul's presentation of the gospel. Paul's presentation of the gospel. Paul seizes the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his presentation is rather simple. In fact, when you look at Paul's presentation of the gospel, it's the same every single time. And it's no different here in this text. When you hear the presentation of the gospel from Paul, he is going to let it fall out on three different points. Number one, the first point he wants to talk about is what his life was like before Jesus Christ. What his life was like before Christ. We see this in verses 4 through 11. Verses 4 through 11, look at what the Bible says in verse number 4. The scripture tells us here, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, known all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most strictest sect of religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, which unto you promise, our, promise the twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night. And I hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should I, uh, should it be though a, though a thing incredible to you that I should raise the dead or that God should raise the dead? I verily through myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also in Jerusalem many of the saints did I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priest and when they were put to death I gave my voice against them. I and I'm punished of them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persuaded them even, or, 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 or I pursued them 
even unto the strange city. Here we find what Paul's life was before he received Jesus Christ as Savior. Notice verse number 4. The first thing he says is, This is from the matter of my youth up. We know that he was taught under Gamaliel. And we know that the education that he got was the top of the line. He says, moreover, in verse number 5, he says, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of that religion. He said, I could not be a more uh, solid or sure or secure Pharisee. In verses 6 through 8, we see the core of his defense. Here is the core of Paul's defense for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells there in the text, he says, I am standing trial for the hope of the promise that is made by God to our fathers. Did you notice it there? Let me call your attention to it if I could again. He tells us there in the text, in verse number 6, he says, And now I stand, and I'm in judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. The reason why I'm standing before you, Paul says, is because God promised a resurrection from the dead. And he did it. And because God was raised up from the dead, and because the resurrection of the dead is true, now I'm standing before you because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're the ones that are at war together with one another. The Sadducees saying there's no resurrection. The Pharisees saying there is a resurrection. And the bottom line is, there is no Jesus in the tomb. He's alive. He's resurrected. Thank God he's alive. So they fervently believed that, or he fervently believed that God had raised up Jesus from the dead. And Paul's argument, in essence, is based on the truth and the fact that Jesus raises up the dead. So here we find Paul talking about the resurrection of the dead. We find he does the same in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul says this. If he would simply drop the issue, excuse me, he, if, he, if Paul would simply drop the issue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead, then he could go free. But Paul cannot drop that. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, that is the basis of who we are. We are Christians because of the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. You look at these others, uh, the other religions that are out there today. Their leaders are still dead. The only leader that is not dead is Jesus Christ. He's alive. So Paul basically tells them in respect to Judaism and all of religions that are out there today, your religion is useless unless you have a, a, a leader, a spiritual leader that's alive. Jesus is alive. Verse number 9, the scripture tells us here in the text, he says, I verily thought myself that I ought to do many things contrary in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He simply says, before I come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I punished everybody that believed in the resurrection. In fact, he said, I got these letters and I went into churches and I drugged them out by the hair of their head. He said, I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I was as bad as I could get before I met Jesus. And then Paul moves to a second point. Not only does he talk about his life before he met Christ, 
In verses 12 through 18, Paul talks about his life or how he come to know Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is how I came to know Christ as my Savior. The Bible says in verse number 12, he says, Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday. O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when they were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And I said, O Lord. I said, "Uh, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, from the Gentiles, unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. I want you to notice when you look at Paul's life and when he come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, everything changed. I'm telling you, when you know Jesus and receive Him as your personal Savior and Lord, you're not the same person that you used to be. The question is, Who you were before you knew Jesus Christ ought to be different when you come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus changed Paul's life. And he described it. He described this experience. He says here there was this supernatural character of light that entered into my life there in verse number 13. And he says, it was a light from heaven above the brightest of the sun. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you, when I got saved, listen to me very carefully, when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I did not have an Apostle Paul experience. I was not riding a horse. It was not the first century. I was sitting in a church service much similar to this. I was 14 years of age. I was listening to a pastor preach. I can't tell you the message he preached. I know who the pastor was. I've talked to him on many occasions. He don't even remember what he was preaching. But I do remember this. He shared with me that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, took my sin and placed him upon himself, hung between heaven and earth, died in my place, was buried and on the third day rose again victorious over death, hell and the grave so that I could have a relationship re-established with God, the creator of the universe. And if I would do as Paul preaches in the book of Romans, if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I would be saved. Oh, listen to me, friend. It resonated in my heart. 
I didn't see a bright light, but I'm telling you, a bright light shined inside my heart. I realized the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus stood in my place, how he took my place, and he died on the cross. Oh, that old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, 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 it makes me want to crumble, crumble, crumble. Oh, dear friend, listen, I crumbled in the seat knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I can remember having a death grip on that pew in front of me. That chair in front of me is a red. Uh, it, was a, it was a pew at this time. We just renovated. and It was a, a pew and I had a hold of that thing. And I can remember turning loose and telling my friends, I, I, I got to get out. Of, I got to get out of here and get down there. I got out into the aisle and I came forward. And there the principal of the school that I was at was there. And he reached out his hand. He said, Shane, are you okay? And I said, no, sir. I'm not okay. If I died today, I'd go to hell. And I know Jesus took my place. And I want to surrender my life to him. And we got on the altar that day and I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. And I've never been the same since. Paul could testify to that same fact. He says when he met Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, it changed him in such a way, and he's never been the same since. When God kicked him off that horse, and that bright light shined upon him on that day, the Bible tells us there in verse number 14 and 15, uh, there he fell to the ground, and God said, Saul, Saul, why uh, are you kicking against the pricks? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. A prick is a very interesting word. It's... Uh, the word goad, uh, it's where we find uh, those that uh, would till the ground with oxen back in the first century. They had goads, and those goads were long pieces of wood that had nails in them. And when you got a young oxen, that oxen wanted to do everything in its power to get out of that uh, harness. And so he would kick, and they would put these goads there that when he'd kick them, it would get him right in the heel. And he would jump and he would line up and he wouldn't do that again. And so he's saying to Paul, he says, you keep kicking against these goads and you keep kicking and it's hard for you because you know the Scriptures and you know about the Messiah. And Jesus fits every law. He fits every prophecy. He fits everything there is to know about, about being the Messiah. And we find that Paul... Received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And then he goes to the third point very quickly this morning. You see what his life is like before Christ. You see how he comes to know Christ in verses 12 through 18. But I don't miss this third part. The third part is his life after he came to Christ. He tells us this in verses 19 through 23. In verse number 19, he goes on to say, he says, Whereupon, King, when I come to know Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. But I showed first unto them of Damascus and to Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then unto the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. For this cause, the Jews 
caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to the small and the great, saying, None other things than those which the prophets and Moses say uh, should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first, and should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, I had a life after Jesus Christ. And my life after Jesus Christ is simply fulfilling the great commission that God has given every born-again believer. I submit to you this morning, according to the Word of God, we are supposed to be on mission with Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's exactly what I did. I became obedient to the mission of God. And the mission of God is the Great Commission. And when you look at Paul's life after Jesus Christ, you see that we cannot ignore verse number 19, where he says, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. To not be a part of the Great Commission is to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. We must be about God's mission. God's mission is to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to make disciples, to see churches planted, to see the story of God, to flourish and to go out from the church and to grow up and to see people come to know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Paul says, this is where my life was dedicated, and here's where our life too must be dedicated as a church. G.H. Lang in the Gospel of the Kingdom said this, None more firmly than Paul rejected works before or after conversion as a grounds for salvation. None more firmly demanded good works as a consequence for salvation. Here's a man that has changed and said, I can't work my way to heaven. I've come to Jesus Christ by grace, and in coming to Him by grace, God has changed me, and I want to see lost people come to know Christ as Savior. Verse number 21 says this, For this causes the Jews, they caught me in the temple, and they went about to kill me. He says, the reason why I'm being killed today, or they're trying to kill me today, is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But verse number 23, I want you to notice where his help comes from. The Bible tells us here, Having therefore obtained help of God. I continue until this day, witnessing both small and great, saying no other thing than that which the prophets and the Moses said should come. That is, Jesus is the Messiah. Paul says, my help comes from God. You see, remember, all Paul's got to do, Paul's got several avenues to get out of this. He can write a letter to the churches. And asked for money, he could have gave a bribe to Felix, he'd have been out. But he didn't. He stayed in prison for two years under house arrest. He stood before Festus and gave an account before Festus, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Festus said, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. In essence, Festus said, you're an innocent man, you ought to be let free, but 
I can't let you. I got to appease the religious Jews. King Agrippa comes on the scene. Paul simply says to Festus, I am appealing to Caesar, which at this stage of the game is Nero. He says, I want to stand before Nero and plead my case. King Agrippa says, I want to hear what this guy has to say. King Agrippa hears what he has to say, and after he hears what Paul has to say, simply follows, uh, out, uh, falls out into the conclusion that this guy's innocent. As a matter of fact, when you look at the text, not only do you see Paul's perception of his audience, Paul's presentation of the gospel, but there's a third thing you see Paul do that's in connection with King Agrippa, and that's Paul's proclamation to follow Jesus Christ. Christ. He makes a proclamation to follow Jesus. Look at what happens in verse number 24. The Bible says, and as he thus spoke for himself, that is, as Paul is presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, Festus, who is a lost man, doesn't know Christ as Savior, stands up and says with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself with much learning. Much learning has made you mad. Festus stands up and says, You are crazy, Paul. You, you are, you're off your gourd. Do you hear what you're saying? Verse number 25, Then Paul said, I am not mad. I'm not insane, Paul says. Most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth, and soberness. Paul says, I'm not standing in front of you as a drunk. I'm standing in front of you as sober as a man as I can be. And I'm speaking to you the truth that happened to me. And the truth that happened to me is that Jesus Christ saved my soul. And I am different and changed because of him. Verse 26, he goes on to say, For the king knoweth the, these things before whom I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. You hear what he's saying? He points his finger over to Agrippa. Can you imagine? Here is a man that's in a kangaroo court. A man that is essentially on trial, but it's not a real trial. But he's standing before king, a king, a governor, military leaders, guests that are there. And the governor speaks and says, you're insane. And Paul says, I am not insane. In fact, I'm quite sober. And to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about, he points his finger at Agrippa. And he says, the king knows what I'm saying is true. Verse 26, you see it there? The king knows what I'm saying is true. And he knows that what I am saying is true about the prophets and the Messiah. He says, none of these things were hidden from him. Notice what King Agrippa does in verse number 27. King Agrippa looks at Paul and says, or excuse me, Paul points his finger at King Agrippa in verse 27 and says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe the prophets, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe what they said is true? Then King Agrippa said in verse number 28, Paul, almost thou persuadeth me to be a Christian. 
King Agrippa, who has listened in silence this whole time, must have been on the edge of his seat. He must have been with his hands on his knees, listening to Paul, understanding everything that he was saying about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to the point where he is just so close to trusting Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, and he turns and he says, You almost persuaded me. To trust Jesus as my Savior. This whole thing turns around. The man on trial now becomes the judge. And the judge and those that were prosecuting him become the guilty party. Paul looks at August, uh, Agrippa as well as Festus. And says, look, the prophets have said it. The scriptures have said it. And I am testifying, Jesus is the Messiah. Paul answers Agrippa when Agrippa says, you almost got me. Almost persuaded me. And Paul says in verse number 29, he says, I would to God that not only you, Agrippa, but also all that have heard me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. And then he lifts, lifts up his arms and says, except for these bonds. Paul basically says, I am preaching the fact that Christianity should go out through all the world freely. And you need to stop locking Christians up because they're preaching truth in the inward parts. The Bible tells us in verse number 30, And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of these bonds. Then said Agrippa to Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. What is Augustus, or excuse me, what is Agrippa saying there to Festus? He's just simply saying this. If he would drop the term resurrection, and if he would drop the term Gentiles, he would go free today. But because he will not drop those two things, he's going to Caesar, to Nero. And he's probably not going to win. Now there are three, three points here that I... I want to wrap this thing up because I'm out of time. Uh, three applications I want to give. Number one, the first one has to do with loving God. In verse number 19, we see how much Paul loved God. Notice what the Bible says there. He says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. That is to say, God, through Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross... When Paul was saved, he was reassured of the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the world. Paul says, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. Here's how we can love God when we see this passage of Scripture. We too can be obedient to our heavenly directive. That is to say that we must be about the Father's business. As we leave here today in loving God, let us too, as Paul did, 
share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us talk about what our life was like before we knew Christ, how we come to know Jesus Christ, and what our life is like after Jesus Christ. May we practice how Paul loved God. Number two, here's the second thing we see. We see Paul loving others. We see Paul loving others. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 22. The Bible says, Having therefore obtained help from God, I continue until this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people of the Gentiles. Here's Paul loving others. Paul says it doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter where, where you're from, the gospel is for you. Not only does he love God in being obedient to the commission, but he loves others by not showing partiality to anybody he comes in contact with. And then number three, here's the third thing we see in that serving the world. Where do you see that? It's really in its context. It's in the context of this, of this passage. You see it in verse 32 and also in verse number 1 of chapter 27. Look again. The Bible says, And Agrippa said unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Verse 27, chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was determined, we should sail into Italy. They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners uh, unto one named Julius, a centurion, and Augustus band. So what do, you, what do you mean right there, preacher? I mean, here is Paul serving the world. Paul could have got out of prison, went right back into the church, continued to preaching. He cho chose not to do that. Why? Because he had a directive of God. God said, you're going to Rome. And Paul had to work within the sovereignty of God as well as uh, the wisdom that he had and the responsibility of man to walk with God to get him to Rome. Why? So that he could serve the world. What was he serving the world with? The gospel. He was serving the world the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, whatever we do as a church, whether that be a closed closet, whether it be a food pantry, uh, whether it be a benevolence ministry, whether it be a, a wild game dinner or a ladies' night out, regardless of what we do, a disciple now or even a children's camp, everything that we do needs to serve others the gospel of Jesus Christ. We meet a physical need for the primary responsibility of meeting the spiritual need. Here's the facts as I close today. <clears throat> In our culture, there is a heavy emphasis on what is known today as the social gospel. The social gospel simply says this. You come to Jesus Christ and all your cares will go away. And all those cares go away and everything will be wonderful and God will make you prosperous and there will be all these wonderful things that will be attributed to you and it will just be a wonderful thing. And what ends up happening is people come to know Christ as Savior and they have all these atrocities. And they get mad and shake their fist at God. And then all of a sudden you see what's very popular today is a deconstruction of their faith. 
when really the bottom line is they never truly had real faith to begin with. You see, I didn't come to Jesus Christ to make my life better. I came to Jesus Christ to get forgiveness of my sins. Because I knew that I could not save myself. And when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I didn't see a bright light shine around me. Yes, I, I said there was a light within my heart that exposed the reality of my sin. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I felt such this freedom lift off of me, knowing that my sins had been forgiven. But I didn't come to Jesus for a better life. I came to Jesus for forgiveness. Can I ask you a question today? Why did you come to Jesus? Are you disheartened by the gospel? Are you uneasy and unsettled by your relationship with God? Did you sign up on a church roll or get involved in the congregation or didn't, and there's been no change in your life? When Paul shares his testimony, when he says, this is what my life was like before I come to Christ, I executed and murdered and took Christians to prison. I was there and consented to the death of Stephen. That's who I was, Paul says. But I got saved on that road to Damascus. And everything changed. And now I've got one mission in my life. And that is wherever I go, wherever I'm at, whether I'm standing before kings or governors or those that are in high authority or I'm in just a little bitty, bitty village with three or four people, my goal is to share the greatest news of all and that is the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. I am not the same person I used to be. And that is the call today. Are you the same person you were? When you got saved? Or are you different? Or before you got saved? Before you got saved. If you're the same person you are before you got saved, you must examine your relationship with Christ. Paul says, I'm not the same person I used to be. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, maybe you're here, maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. If you're here today, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website, or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again 
we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.